It's the Locked On Aggies Podcast, presented by Locked On Podcast Network, talking all things Texas A&M. Now, here's your host, Cole Thompson. All right, let's get it locked on LSU. Special edition here because it's also locked on Aggies. Cole Thompson, locked on Aggies, jumps aboard for a crossover episode. How are you, dude? Hey, Matt, I'm doing pretty good. You know, nothing to complain about. Great Thanksgiving, and you know what? We have a great game tomorrow, no matter what anyone talks about. You know, you're looking at two teams. One, unfortunately, has a worse record than the other, but everyone remembers the game last year. And it's become a game that's become a staple of the rivalry weekend. So how you doing, man? Yeah, man, I'm I'm good. I'm curious. I've been asking everybody who I know on the A and M side of it this week if if the if the game like if the animosity has built this year on the A and M side of it because in Baton Rouge this is rare form, man. After the way the game ended and then what happened after the game a year ago, it feels like this has been stewing and brewing for a year where LSU's kind of looking for payback. I'm just I'm curious if there's the same vibe in College Station this week. You know, the biggest thing that I've seen from the players and when I've, guys I've spoken to, it's not even the vibe of the game. You know, everyone was very excited last year, but it was just it was another game that kind of was one of those throw out the stat lines, who's going to put up that extra two point conversion and actually continue to move it on. They're yeah. more pissed off about last week's game against Georgia, hmm. where they almost completed the comeback, and now they have to sit in with the chance of going 7-5 and five instead of at least guaranteeing they would go 8-4, the same record as last year. I think everyone knows that LSU's team is very special under the direction of passing game coordinator Joe Brady and what we've seen from the receivers from LSU uh, working with Joe Burrow. But overall, this is still a game that matters to both teams for A&M. It could guarantee them a New Year's Day bowl game instead of having to play in potentially the Texas Bowl or Liberty Bowl. And for LSU, it's a chance to go undefeated, which would be first time under the direction of Ed Orton. Yeah. You know, it's so weird. It's like as much as LSU has to play for big picture, one of the things Ed's been really good, that Ed has done really well since he's been the coach at LSU, is he has been able to compartmentalize week to week. I know that's something every coach talks about. You know, it's the biggest game because it's the next game, all that stuff. He, he's actually good at it. I mean, that was, a, that was a big problem that LSU had under Les Miles whenever – you know, when they would lose the Alabama game, they would they would really struggle to get off the mat in November. They haven't had that problem. But considering everything that they have to play for, you know, next week in Atlanta and then hopefully beyond, man, it is so wild. That's all like all that this team with so much to play for cares about is this feeling of get back and get right and get good from what happened a year ago in seven overtimes. So let's start. I figure what we do is like let's just talk each side of the ball and start here when what you know with I, of the four units offense defense both sides LSU's offense is obviously the the story maybe consider how anemic LSU's been offensively for a decade maybe the story in college football considering they are where they are because of their offense can is is Texas A&M secondary equipped to match up with LSU's receivers I mean, the biggest thing I will say about A&M secondary is most of the guys that are playing in it have that veteran experience. And the only player who's really not been known for playing in Mike Elko's squad is Elijah Bleach, who's questionable right now to play. He's missed the last three games with a shoulder injury that he suffered against Mississippi State. He was a late scratch against Georgia last weekend. And that really hurt them against uh, Lawrence Pick, uh, George, Georgie Pickens because he was the only one who got the touchdown in that game. But overall, I think that there's enough of a quality secondary for them to make some plays on Burrow, 
maybe keep him under 350 yards be my big thing. Damani Richardson, the rookie, uh, the freshman safety, has been nothing short of impressive. Everyone knew he was going to be a contributor, but nobody thought he was going to be a full-time starter. He's worked into that strong safety role pretty well. Kelzer Carper does a pretty good job rotating the top of the field. And Devin Renfro has done a pretty overall stellar job playing opposite of Miles Jones and Charles Oliver in the spot position in place of Blade last week. I think he only gave up three catches for a total of 36 yards. That could have been because of the weather, not because of actual A&M's great secondary. But I do think that that's been their strongest point so far this season is stopping the pass overall. You see more so the run game beating them at the hmm. first and second line of the fence. But when you look at them in coverage, they're actually playing pretty decent, it's, minus the fact that they don't have a high turnover. It's interesting because I think the perception is A&M's defensive front seven. is Certainly they were a great run defense a year ago. You know, the the best secondary that LSU's played this year, talent-wise, just if you look for projectability to the next level, was probably Florida, and LSU put up 42 points. It's like they've they've managed to score on everybody because even if you make a handful of plays throughout the game or, or if, you, if you play well 80 85% of the defensive snaps, those 15% is when LSU might be able to turn it into a big play. The team that, that has maybe and I use this term loosely, but limited LSU the best was Auburn because they had a great defensive front that was able to get pressure, not from the edge, but right up the middle. You know, Even in that game, LSU put up 508 yards offense. They just struggled in the red zone. So like, if, if it comes down to a game where, you know, let's just say Elko tries to get pressure just with his defensive front coming up the middle, like, do you think that that's something that A&M would be able to do? I think they're going to have to be able to do it. You know, that's the biggest thing. They're going to have to stop Clyde Edwards-Larry, who's been on a tear the last couple of games. If you look since the Alabama game, he's consistently rushed. I believe if he wins 100 yards this week, it'll be the sixth time this season he's eclipsed triple digits in the run game. So that's going to be a big stop. But you got to look last week against Georgia. Georgia's offense was a unit pretty much the entire game, minus really three big plays including that 16-yard touchdown pass from Jake Fromm, right. they were able to pressure Fromm into making costly throws due to the weather. I remember talking to the, my counterpart in Georgia, and I even said to him, the biggest thing that I think will happen is it's going to be DeAndre Swift getting those maybe two or three 25-yard runs. And I believe he actually did have two or three 25-yard runs in that game. I know he had the 11-yard run that sealed the deal, but you look at what the run game has done for LSU this season and how a and has been pretty successful in moments against the run, but then they've also allowed big-time runs to guys like Raheem Boyd, Kylan Hill against Mississippi State. So you have to wonder which side is going to come out. It's not even, in my opinion, stopping the run consistently. It's stopping those big-time runs that allow them to meet in the middle of the field, and then you look at the passing game once they're in the red zone. Because once you get Joe Burrow in the red zone, that's where he's on fire. So you're, would you say that from – the A and M side of things, you're. It sounds like you're more. You'd be more concerned about Clyde in the running game than Burrow in the passing game. I, I don't want to speak for you. I mean, is that is that about the vibe I'm getting? It's more so once you get into that red zone attack, it's almost impossible to stop Burrow. In my opinion, I think that when you look at his numbers, you look at his progression: forty touchdowns on the year, four thousand passing yards, the fourth uh, quarterback in SEC history to do so. You don't want to give him that opportunity. So eliminating that big time run against a guy like Clyde Edwards-Larry and, and, and the entire Georgia, I mean, the entire LSU run game, that's going to be the important part. It's not about stopping the run consistently. It's stopping those plays 30, 40 yards and allowing your secondary having to make that tackle. Because what's going to happen is 
once they make that tackle, they're going to be tired, and Burrow's going to get up to the line and be able to throw one right over the head of a safety for six points. I think what we've seen all year is that it, in, in order to, to have an opportunity to beat LSU, you've got to be able to score with them. It's what Texas you know, did and, and almost pulled off. It's what Alabama did and, and came close to pulling off as well. Um, I, I want to flip the field because I do want to talk about if Kellen Mond and that Aggie offense, because I, I think this is the bigger story of the game. LSU's going to get theirs. They've got theirs all year. It's can the Aggies score with LSU? Let's pick up there next. All right, we're continuing here. Crossover episode, Locked on LSU, Locked on Aggies. Matt Moscona, he's Cole Thompson from Locked on Aggies. Be sure to subscribe, however you get your podcast. All right, so Cole, the I don't – maybe you think I'm being callous. I think LSU is going to get theirs just because we've seen it all year. They're going to score. The question is, can A&M score with LSU? What would be the the biggest reason for that if A&M is able to come into Tiger Stadium and keep pace with LSU offensively? I mean, what they're going to have to do is play it simple. Get a run game. Every single game that the run game has been prevalent, it's been a non-power five opponent, or it's been against a team like Mississippi State, who's known for having a horrendous run defense this year. They're not running the ball. Last week against Georgia, minus one yard after, I believe it was, 17 carries. So, so 17 carries minus one yard, and your best runner is Isaiah Stiller rushing for six total yards. That's a problem. They're going to have to establish some type of run game whether it be Kellen Mond keeping the ball as the dual-threat guy, whether it be Spiller running up the field. I mean, he is eighth, now I think ninth in the SEC in rushing yards. Or whether it be Cordarian Richardson, the sophomore running back who's known for his size, more so power, not speed. One of those three guys has to step up and create a run game because if once the passing game is there, A&M can score. That's the biggest thing when people are saying about Kellen Mond being a problem. It's not that he's a problem. It's that they're relying on him so much to make these throws. Unfortunately, it's not always panning out because of miscommunication with the receivers. And when you make that many throws in the game, it's kind of a bigger issue talking more about the run game. Mm-hmm. So if Spiller, Richardson, or Mond can get anything going on the ground, I think that you can see this team, again, being another high-scoring game like it was last year. You know, it's interesting. Like, it, it, even last year wasn't a super high-scoring game Like until you go what, – what did it go to overtime? They were in the 20s, right, when they went to overtime? I think it was 31 Okay, it's 31-31. Yeah, because no, yeah, because it was the Courtney Davis touchdown and the fight. Right. And they just fight it up at 31. So the you know, I I think about LSU defensively and and this year the knock, especially of late after the Ole Miss game, has been LSU's run defense. The the interesting thing though is you know, I, I think when LSU went into that Ole Miss game, uh they went to half thirty one seven. And I, and I think there is something to be said just for the human nature element of coming out and you're up, you know, you're up 31-7 and the stadium empties out and you let your guard down. They got popped and you give credit to John Rice Plumley and Jerry Neely and some really good athletes. The flip side of it is when we've seen LSU know they have to tangle with a dual threat guy um, at quarterback, they've actually done pretty well in limiting the run. They did it a week ago against Arkansas, knowing they were going to face some of that. I know it's not the same competition, but you know they've played, played uh, triple option offense early in the season with Georgia Southern, allowed 98 total yards. Uh, Jordan Love brought Utah State in. He's a projected first-round draft pick. They held them to six points and you know 150 yards of offense. It's, it's interesting, Cole, because you know, look, LSU deserves the reputation it has defensively this year. I mean, they've given up a lot of yards and a lot of points, more than people are accustomed to. But what's been interesting is whenever you kind of look at, you know, circumstantial and 
you know, in situational spots, they've been able to get stops. And that's kind of, it's been, it's odd to say, right, because we're so accustomed to seeing just a, a great LSU defense be the cornerstone of how LSU's built their teams. And it's just, it's reversed and they've done it so rapidly in one year where it's just offense and the defense needs timely stops. So it's almost like if the defense can get two or three stops and a turnover or two and you come away with four or five empty possessions against LSU where they're getting opportunities to put together back-to-back scoring drives, that's how leads have kind of snowballed on teams. So, you know, it's, it's odd to say, but it's more so even if just getting three, and we'll talk about special teams in a minute, but I really feel like for A&M or for any team, it's even just if you can find a way to not come away with an empty possession against LSU, like that's the key because if you keep punting and trying to play defense eventually and like shorten the game, eventually they're going to break through and it might be a one-play, two-play drive, but that's just how they've snowballed on people this year. Yeah, the biggest thing that I've noticed is because I grew up in the SEC country, I went to Alabama for college, so I know about you know, the program, and especially about LSU and that rivalry game, they're known for their defense, and now it's kind of an offensive game plan that you're preparing for. But the biggest thing for Texas A&M is last week, what happened was they didn't get a first down until 11 plays into the game. That's a problem. And then they had, I believe it was seven three-and-out drives. When you have seven three-and-out drives and you're forcing – Braden Mann to go out and punt, who, by the way, was not named to the Ray, uh, Ray guys. Not the finals. <laughs> how crazy I was that, no by the way? <laughs> the guy... I have no idea how you don't make a semifinalist when you're the reigning champ. No and statistically, he's had a better season this year than he did a year ago. It, it's the most baffling stat, and when we asked him, when we asked Coach Fisher about it, he didn't even know. He's like, oh, I just assumed he would have made it. Like, yeah, I know, same thing. But when you're relying on him to do a majority of – the carries, and you're relying on him to set your defense up deep in the end, uh, in the other opponent's end zone. Your offense is going to have time to stall and figure it out. But at the same time, you need to see some type of production going out there. That was their problem against Georgia. They finally found a rhythm. Mon in the second half, yeah, threw for 192 yards in the first half. He threw for 30. I mean, when you look at those numbers, you know that A and M can do it. But the biggest problem and the biggest knock I've had on them all season. They do it late. They did it late against Auburn. They were a better team than Auburn a majority of the game. They were a better team than Georgia a majority of the game. But they just did it too late. And because of the way they started it out, it ended in defeat. So that's going to be a big key for A&M is scoring early. Not just scoring consistently. Scoring early and keeping up a good pace. Every time you see a three and out, it's a chance for the opponent to really jump on that and get a score. And with LSU's offense, they can do that consistently. They've shown it on the ground. They've shown it through the air. And they've shown it with Burrow, who actually is a pretty mobile quarterback when you look at him for a guy who's known for his Yeah, how do you think – so go back to the Georgia game. because I, So I watched the whole thing. How much of A&M's struggles in the first half were, were the, the weather? <sighs> I mean, you, you can throw part of it on this, but Mon – finally got a passing game going with Jamon Austin, who's been working with the freshman year. It was the run game. And, you know, don't take credit away from Georgia's, you know, run defense. They're one of the best in the country, and they've been one of the best for a while under Kirby Smart. But the weather probably played a little bit of a factor with the gloves for players, maybe a Courtney Davis job or a Kendrick Rogers underthrow. Those are things that maybe weather played a small role in. But overall, it's not something where I look at and go, yeah, that's why they yeah. lost the game. Okay. I more so blame it just being a poor offensive, you know, planning 
by Jimbo and his staff. So here's the other thing, too, like that I noticed in the second half, whenever that passing game started getting going for A&M, it, it felt like, and I mean, I, and I've seen, so I, I saw A&M play, uh, oddly enough, Cole, I've seen all the losses, right? I mean, I saw, I watched the Clemson game, I watched the Auburn game, I watched the Bama game, and then I watched the Georgia game. So it's like they're the biggest games they played, I watched, and they lost. But when they got the, oh, yeah. when they got the offense going, it felt like it was tempo. And they, they, they basically had a defense on their heels and were going. And so here's the interesting thing. Like, I, I'm curious if Jimbo comes into this game looking at that and says, hey, let's run tempo and go try to score with these guys. Because the, the teams that try to play keep away from LSU, it's just, it's just not going to work. Because he, he, like, so for, as a for instance, you know, you brought up Braden Mann, maybe, you know, field position. LSU, every kickoff this year, every single one, they fair catch. They've not returned a kickoff all year. If you kick it and it's at, they will fair catch the ball at the 10, 12 yard line, they will fair catch every single kickoff and take it at the 25. Because Ed Ogeron says, I know we can go 75 yards, and I'd rather not take the chance of maybe a, a fumble, turning the ball over, a penalty, something like that. I'll just take it at the 25 and go 75 yards every time. So, with that mentality, the point, I guess my point is, the the keep away approach just isn't going to work against this LSU team. It hasn't worked. Let me put it. It hasn't worked at all this season for anybody. If you try oh, to play yeah. tempo and go like Florida did, like Bama did, that's a better option. So is that something A and M you think might be able to do against LSU? Is come in and say, all right, hell, we'll just we'll sprint with you. Well, look at look at every single one of their losses. Look at the look at the Clemson loss. Their best drive came in the final minute of the game. Where it was tempo. It was right. literally just quick pass. Look at the Alabama game. It was the same thing. Quick passes. Jalen Weidemeyer, touchdown. It was just too late. Look at the Georgia game. Same thing. They finally got a rhythm. They finally found an execution. He finally connected with the husband. He got that uh, 19-yard touchdown. There we go. We have a rhythm going. That has to be the plan. The problem is that coaches relied so much on the run game being a massive part of the offense, and it's just not there. And the biggest thing that I wonder with people is when they – you know, when they're asking me about A&M's run defense, or running game, I'm like, what do you expect? Travion Williams carried the ball over 300 times last year, led the SEC in rushing, and finished on Corbin their next lead back at 180 yards. Everyone else is a brand-new runner. They're going to get used to the system. It's going to take some time. Corbin's out after week two with a hamstring injury against Clemson. I mean, so the run game isn't going to work. And even though LSU's having a down year on defense, I still think Dave Aranda did a good job with the run game overall early in the game. So maybe if that's going to be the case, maybe their first two drives, they try and get something going with the run, and then if it doesn't work, Fisher has to just throw that out and go tempo passing. Yeah. That's the only way you're going to win. That's the only way. And you, you mentioned it earlier in the show. It, it, look at Texas. I mean, Texas was passing the ball. Once they got in the red zone, yeah, they tried to run it. I think they had two rushing touchdowns. But overall, it was a passing game in that game. And that is how Texas held on all the way into the fourth quarter. It's something else to keep in mind with LSU defensively. They are – it's odd because LSU is, it has the DBU moniker and all that stuff. But LSU in their secondary, they have talent. They're just very thin. They're going to start Christian Fulton, who's you know a potential first-round draft pick. He's in most mock drafts as a first-rounder. And the corner opposite him is Derek Stingley Jr., who's a true freshman. And, you know, Grant Delpit's been battling a little bit of an ankle injury, and he's going to be a top half around one guy. But he's really the only experienced safety that they have. And so they've been, 
Like literally after Fulton, the next three cornerbacks are all true freshmen. So LSU is thin and young in their secondary. And I mean, you I like what, what I expect Dave Aranda is going to do in this ball game is he's going to stack the line and he's going to leave Fulton and Stingley on an island and say, you got it, boys. You go lock down Osborne. You go lock down Rodgers. Go just you go one on one and win your battles, and we're going to try to pressure Mon with with numbers and stop the line of scrimmage. Um, that that's what I think the approach is going to be defensively for LSU because I don't think LSU can sit back and play coverage and drop you know, eight into coverage because they they just don't have the bodies to do that. So it's that is going to be an interesting chess match there with Aranda to see how he approaches it. What about what about special teams? If it, we talk Braden Man, if it comes down to a kick, how are the Aggies? You gotta, you know, it's, 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 if it's under 45, Steph Swanson, he's in four misses on the year with that. He has an 85% completion rating overall. But when you look at him, it's, everything is under, is a 35, 37, 39. Yeah. So I don't want to put him in a situation on, with a 45-yard kick, 47-yard kick, where it comes down to that because of, I do think that right now his confidence could be shot because of he's missed kicks in that range. But he also has made kicks around that range. So it's not that can't do it it's just the inconsistencies past the 40 yard mark have been the biggest issue i think for him this season you know he is a sophomore he still has time he still can turn it around he's still one of the better kickers i mean everyone knows that a&m is probably known for special teams more than anything else when it comes to the nfl because if you look at some of the guys who have been there but i do think that it is going to be more so relying on good execution defense good offensive play calling and then once you're in the red zone Settling for field goals. But yeah. Everything has to click kind of together. Yeah, for what it's worth, LSU's kicker Cade York, uh, sixty-four of sixty-eight on extra points this year. So they've actually they've missed extra points, and he's sixteen of nineteen on field goals, which is a good percentage at eighty-four. But he had a lull in the middle of the season where I think he missed three of four kicks, and everyone kind of held their breath. But since the Alabama game, where he was perfect on the road uh, at Alabama, he's really kind of caught fire again. But that's that same with LSU, it's far from an from automatic. When you said Cade York out there, he is perfect inside of forty on the season, but he's missed two in that that forty to forty nine range, and he's a one for two from fifty plus. He does have a fifty two yarder on the season, so I mean, he's got plenty of leg. But the consistency at times this year has has also been a a bit of an issue. Let's do this. Uh, we'll uh, step aside quick. When we come back, we'll give a final thought here on the game and a pick. All right, Cole. Let's wrap it up, man. Um, do, do, would you uh, would you like the honors? Uh, how do you first of all give me a blueprint for A and M if they win it? How, how does the game look? I definitely think that you're going to have to establish a passing game, but have a complementary run game. With it. That's the only way it's going to work. I definitely think that the best plan is relying on Kellen Mond's arm early, establishing a, uh, establishing something on third down. I would look for Courtney Davis to make in kind of that mixture of a. But uh, Larry Fitzgerald, flanker, kind of could do it all. Uh, definitely is good with the slant routes. Definitely is good with you know uh, something in the flat. You look at that kind of plan. Moving the ball consistently is how they're going to win this game. I also think that on defense, it's about pressuring Joe Burrow. When the Aggies have a chance to you know get a pass rush, they can definitely change the game plan up. We saw that last. He had one of his worst games of the year. Almost completed the comeback. The defense was flawless. They actually outscored, outgained Georgia overall by, I think it was about nine or ten yards. So the 
and it really starts with establishing a passing game on offense, but defense, it's getting Burrow just to feel the pressure a little yeah. bit. He's been awesome against pressure. It's been one of the most impressive things about Joe is when teams have brought pressure, he's completing more than 70% of his passes. He's yet to throw an interception when pressured this year, and his his quarterback rating's over 150. It's it's been remarkable. Like when teams that 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 has been the single biggest improvement year to year for Joe Burrow. It's his pocket awareness and his ability to throw accurately and make the right decision when being pressured. It's he's just at a different rate right now, man. Uh, do you do you want to pick the game? Um, yeah, I want to pick this game. I think it's a very easy game. It's very similar. Very much going to be, I think, in favor of LSU for a reason. And that's how the game goes. I definitely think what happens is you're going to see this A&M team play how they play all season long. There's going to be a team that comes back late, makes things interesting, but the damage will be done so early that it just won't be enough. I'm going to take a game. I'm going to go in favor of A&M and that. 16 and a half when you look at this game in the past few years, too high, in my opinion. I do like what I've seen from, you know, Alan's offense, but A&M's offense has kind of taken games, and they've made things interesting, so I think they're going to beat the spread, but it's still going to be in favor of LSU by a significant amount. There's no way you can stop Joe Burrow. Look at his receiving court with Jamar Chase, who I do think is going to win the ball the clock. He's too fantastic. Got two 1,000-yard receivers. Joe Brady, I think, is one of the guys who look at and hopefully he becomes the offensive coordinator soon, full-time, because of what he's done for Burrow. He's transformed into the number one pick. I'm going LSU 38-30. I think that it's a lot closer than people expect. I think Bond does a great job late in the game, but overall, it's just so much of LSU's offense and change that we've seen this season. They're special. That's the best way to put this team. They're special. And when you beat Alabama, when you are consistently winning top 10 games. And I don't know what people are saying, you know, oh, Texas was overrated. Yeah, but you know what? They still had to play when they were in the top 10, which puts pressure on a team. This is a special LSU team. And I do think, overall, I was curious when I saw the rankings. They need to be number one. They need to be the number one team in the country. But I understand where you're coming from with that, probably because you also want to be set that up for a national championship game. But I do think the LSU is a special team this year, and it's going to be playing for the college playoff. An undefeated season is definitely on the works. And I think that A&M, the schedule overall, they just struggle at times, even though they find, you know, rhythm late. But it's LSU. It's, it's easily LSU. Your good point about the lines, uh, Cole. LSU's actually just one and three against the spread in their last four. Vegas just got pummeled the first two months of the season against LSU because they, they covered, I think they covered their first eight. And, um, and I think what as as a consequence, you saw Vegas start to inflate lines. So LSU struggled to co- cover some of these bigger numbers against Ole Miss, against Arkansas, uh, as we saw late. But um, the one they did cover, obviously, was the the win against Bama, the outright win when they were an underdog. The the thing I I think we're probably similar offensively in what A and M can do. Uh, LSU, but I can tell you this much. Uh, considering they feel like they there's a lot of intangibles that favor LSU, they they do have to feel like they have to impress the committee after dropping, uh, and I I that's a whole I mean do we could do a whole other podcast on that as absurd as that is, yeah. but I think they do need to feel feel like they need to impress the committee, and the the bitter taste of a year ago has never left here. It's it's been I'm telling you Cole, it's been an odd week around here, man. Um, as locked in as this team is, I I I get the feeling if LSU gets up early on LSU. 
they would need someone to pull them off. Um, if, if LSU gets up early on A&M, I should say. Um, I, I think LSU is going to approach, if not cross 50 in this game. I, I'll look at it 48-24 with like a late A&M score bringing it even that close. Um, it's just an inspired LSU team. Joe Burrow's senior day, everything they know they're playing for. Uh, it's, I think it's going to be really tough for that A&M offense that I've watched this year. At, you know, as you mentioned, without the consistent running game, to, to find a way to keep pace with LSU in this ballgame. So I think so we both like LSU, different style of games. We'll see how it plays out Saturday night in Tiger Stadium. Cole, it's been fun, man. I appreciate you for uh, for reaching out, man, doing the, the, the crossover podcast. No, thank you so much, man. Make sure you guys are listening to LSU, Lock on LSU. Make sure you guys are listening to Lock on Aggies. Listen to all the great podcasts that we have on LockOnPodcast.com. Bowl season is right around the corner, and you're going to want to know who your teams are playing. Maybe you can great content like me and Matt talking about this with possible several teams who are going to be facing off with each other. So make sure you check all of us out at LockOnPodcast.com. Good stuff, man. Thanks. This has been Locked On Aggies, presented by the Locked On Podcast Network.